This is how I feel, everyone. This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. Uh, we got another edition of the podcast this Friday morning, going into your Friday afternoon. Uh, today is going to be uh, a basketball day, some college football as well. But we're going to get right into it first with a playoff update, and then I might you know, just depending on how I feel, I might get into a little bit about some personal stuff today. Who, who, who knows? Everything is possible on Never Out of Bounds, but you got to make sure you got them facts, though. But let's get right into it. Of course, uh, we got some Western Conference semifinal action. Game one was on last night. Uh, the Clippers put a number on the Nuggets, 120-97. Of course, that would mean that they leave the series one zip. Uh, for the Nuggets, they got some production out of Nikola Jokic, 15 points, 3 assists, and 3 rebounds. And also, Paul Millsap uh, was able to get 13 points and 9 rebounds. But you're kind of seeing how this one went. For the Clippers, they were led by Kawhi Leonard. He led all scores with 29 points, 3 assists, and 2 rebounds. Paul George would have 19 points, 7 rebounds, and 4 assists. So, I guess playoff P is coming back getting two big games in a row i'll say it but you know hey he's doing something you got marcus morris coming up especially big from the three point i saw him busting a lot of threes in last night's game but he would have 18 points five rebounds and two assists and landry shermet would have 15 points three rebounds and two assists so a couple stats and takeaways from this way this one uh this was a cold night or was it nerves or choking from denver they only went 42 percent from the field which is of course um you know not not touching uh, the nearly 60% the Clippers were at. The, uh, the Clippers were at 57% from the field. Uh, I think Denver shot at least below, I would say, about 32, maybe 30% from three as well. So not, you know, not a whole lot of points from them, not a whole lot of action from them. Uh, like I said, 60 points, 66 points in the paint from the Clippers. The Clippers were able to do their thing. Of course, you got Paul George, you got Kawhi Leonard, and then of course you got people like Lou Williams coming off the bench, Landry Schmidt that could do a couple things. This is what you get. Uh, Kawhi would shoot 75% from the field, of course. Uh, I don't know about playoff P, but I know about playoff Kawhi. Kawhi just does his thing in the playoffs. He's not afraid. Uh, he could have easily scored in the 40s or 50s in this game, but he didn't. The other teammates got involved, and that's what you're supposed to do. 
Now, Denver's top scorers were missing in action. Jamal Murray would have just 12 points on 5 of 15 shooting. I'm a little bit surprised about that. Does that happen again? Uh, just, just depends on if the, if the question is, was this game really just a, a showcase of just the Clippers just kind of blowing them out offensively? Or did they do some good things defense, uh, good things defensively as well? I think it was a mixture of both. I don't think you get a 12 point game from Jamal Murray in game two, but that does not mean to say that he's going to be some, he turns into this monster at some course of his, oh, at some course, uh, in the series so I think he might have maybe a couple better games than this of course but I don't think he just you know goals and balls all out like he did in round one that's also my opinion as well uh Michael Porter Jr uh somebody who's came in there at least into the bubble uh with some positivity he's done he has he's had some great games uh up until the start of the playoffs and this was his first or his worst game last night just going two for nine from the field and only scoring nine points so again not a lot of offense from the Nuggets. You think that they would, especially with what we saw from the first round. You know, just them, you know, just having these, you know, hundred point games. But again, we did see them in Game Seven versus the the Jazz, where they just both teams struggled to score. So it's a little bit indicative from Game Seven. I see. I still see a little bit of uh, maybe it's a little bit of um, you know, what's the word here? You know. Ah, what's the word? They look maybe a little bit tired from a seven-game series. I'm not too sure. We'll see. Uh, let's move on to the Eastern Conference semis. Game three. Uh, the Raptors were able to get their first win of the series last night. Uh, they, were, they were able to beat the Celtics 104 to 103 last night. Uh, for the Raptors, they were led by Fred Van Fleet. Uh, he would have 25.6 assists and three rebounds. Kyle Lowry would have 31 points. 8 assists and 6 rebounds, and Pascal Siakam would have 16.7 rebounds and 2 assists. Uh, for the Celtics, they were led by Kimball Walker. He would have 29 points, uh, also 3 assists and 3 rebounds. You also got Jalen Brown in the mix with 19 points, 12 assists and 2. He would have 12 assists and 2, uh, 12 rebounds and 2 assists. And Jason Tatum would have 15 points, 9 assists, uh, sorry, 9 rebounds and 6 assists. Uh, the big, the big takeaway from this game was a game winner by Ford OG and Anubi. Uh, pretty much like one of those corner threes. He, I'm, from what I'm hearing, he was not the designed, uh, you know, benefactor on that play, but he just happened to be at the not, the right place at the right time, and they got him the ball, and that's it. Uh, is this again? Is this an indicative of how the series may go? Uh, can the Raptors tie it up the very next game tomorrow? I will believe that's that's when that's going to be. I'm not 100% sure. I still think the Celtics played a really good game. Uh, again, this this came down to a final bucket. So it could go either way. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Kind of both the first two games were kind of like this. I don't think, you know, the, the Raptors were necessarily blown out or looked terrible in these games. But with that being said, uh, Boston, at least in the first two games, were doing just enough to pull those games away. And in this one, it just looked like, you know, honestly, the Raptors, again, they were given the last second shot. They were able to do something with it. Again, who knows if that's going to happen. Again, they're going to be in that same, you know, predicament. But they'll keep, they'll definitely keep these games close. So I think it'll come down to these last bucket, these last bucket situations. I don't think uh, the Raptors are just a bad team to the point where they're just going to be outplayed in everything in the series. They're going to be in this series and they're going to be in a position to take these games. This one is going to be, this series is going to be pretty competitive. I, I would hope so. Uh, I hope the 2 1 isn't indicative. I do see the Raptors evening things up, but it'll be very difficult. And again, it'll probably take, you know, a one or two points 
situation or it'll probably be like a last shot situation in some of these games. So don't be surprised about that. Uh, let's move on to some other action going on in the playoffs. Of course, uh, in the Eastern Conference semis, you got the Heat having a two-game lead. Oh, they have a two-game lead right now on Milwaukee. That is a bit of an upset right now. Uh, the last game was a 116-114 win for Miami. And that one, they were led by Goran Dragic. He would have 23 points, 5 assists, and 4 rebounds for the Bucs. Uh, they were led by Giannis, who had 29 points, 14 rebounds, and 3 assists. Uh, some takeaways from that one and from that series in general. At least in that last game, uh, Milwaukee had an edge on the board, 40 to uh, 50 to 38, and also 17 to 7 on the offensive end. However, it did not make that much of a difference. You think with all, you know, with more possessions or more uh, second chance opportunities, you think uh, the Bucks would have probably won by a little bit of a bigger edge, but no, they actually lost by two. Um, they had, uh, sorry, the Heat would have 22 team assists, but they were able to, you know, distribute the ball pretty well. You had a you had a decent amount of players that had double-digit points, at least four or five players. So, again, that's indicative of the team moving the ball around. They're doing a good job of that right now. They're not just relying on Jimmy Butler and going on Dragic, some of the more experienced players on your team, some of the more talented players on your team. You're getting action from all over the place, of course. That One of those places being from Tyler Hero. He would have 17 points uh, in the last game, also five rebounds and four assists. And I think the big question right now in, this, in general in the NBA because of this series is, is Giannis thinking of leaving Milwaukee? I don't know. I can't say that for certain. I I'm going to be a person that's. I know it does not. It's not the greatest answer that people might want to hear. It's not the most uh, salacious answer right now. But I'm just going to say we'll have to wait and see. Who knows what happens? Uh, maybe he can pull this series off and maybe learn uh, some type of or or understand the value of his teammates. Who knows what happens? Uh, but I would have to. I I will call it. I'm not even going to make a call on this one. I don't know. Uh, I've been wrong before about these players moving around. I know I was, I was very wrong about the Kawhi decision. Um, yeah, <laughs> so I'm not gonna go there and start and start, you know, guessing. I'm going to say uh, we'll know. We, we will know by the time uh, the season is over when we get to that. We will know at some point. Though. We will know what his decisions are. Just not right now, and it's not worth us. In my opinion, it's not worth us worrying about let him do what he's going to do he's a grown-ass man and now he wants to spend his career is his choice all we got to do all we do is kind of is kind of talk about it in hindsight and kind of say this is what could happen or this is what might happen it ain't my pretty place to judge all that so if he wants to go he wants to go uh but i won't know that we won't really know that until uh everything's done here uh, let's move on to the Western Conference. Uh, the round one series between the Rockets and the Thunder is finally over. Of course, it took seven games. Uh, Houston was able to take that. Uh, 104 to 102 was the final in game seven. Uh, now, for the Thunder, they were led by Lugans Dort. Uh, he had a really monster game despite coming up short. 30 points from him, four rebounds uh, for the Rockets. Uh, they were led by Eric Gordon and Robert Covington, who will both have 21 points. Eric Gordon would also have three rebounds to that and two assists. And uh, Covington would have 10 rebounds and two assists to that as well. Uh, not too much uh, to say here in this one, uh, except for the Rockets. Uh, they did not shoot very good at all and still got the job done. They only shot 39% from the field, 34% from three. That's very crazy because 
of course, this is the team that's been the offensive heavy team. They've been offensive minded, especially from three. Uh, but they were able to get a lot of things done. Now, what they weren't able to do offensively, they got done defensively. Uh, they were able to force 21 turnovers on the Thunder and just gave the Thunder all types of problems despite not having great defense. Uh, they would just, you know, pressure the ball, create, like I said, create those turnovers, get those rebounds, and at least have those opportunities because they took the ball away. Uh, now, Chris Paul did all he could with 19 points, 12 assists, and 11 rebounds. Again, there's uh, some questions questions about where he may go next season he could be traded he could not be traded uh who really knows uh but like i said he did all he could do in this one but it just wasn't enough uh houston just had a really good defense they've been you know harassed and for so long about coming up short in these in these type of series because of their offense and all that and again it kind of didn't show up but this time around, they had some really good defense, and you can't take that away from them. Uh, this will be a very interesting series uh, coming up with the Lakers, and I and I really can't really wait to see that because I think you know the Rockets have have changed. They're 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 not last year's Rockets. They're not the Rockets of the year before because again, uh, you know, because because again, when you're offensively, um, they might be the same. And don't get me wrong, when you're shooting, you know. Well, there's so much emphasis there's so much emphasis on shooting in this area anyways that of course you know shooting is is something that you go hot and you go cold at and once you go cold it's imperative for a team or a player to kind of understand what they can do outside of scoring what can they do to generate more offense and more opportunities if they're not making shots uh part of that is creating turnovers part of that is getting rebounds houston has been doing that in spades in this playoff uh in this playoffs in general they're i think they're the third highest rated defensive team as of yet in the playoffs if not you know even higher and that's and that's having a liability in terms of shooting with russell westbrook so they're getting it done defensively they're getting it done on the boards that is what wins championships or and or gets you there uh so let's move on we do have some news to go over in the, in the nba real quick uh and the biggest news is, of course, Steve Nash. Uh, he's going to be the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, like I said, the former point guard, uh, he was hired yesterday. Uh, apparently, he had a really swell meeting with management. Uh, but Nash has zero coaching experience, but has been a consultant before, uh, that being with the Golden State Warriors in the recent past. And he's responsible for getting KD to come over to the Bay and getting them some more championships. So uh, he doesn't have necessarily coaching experience but he does have you know some front office experience he does understand the inner workings of a basketball team he's gotten to see that especially with a contender uh now as a player he's a two-time mvp and he's also considered to be one of the best uh point guards of all time and the thing about point guards is that because they're so you know uh knowledgeable about you know basketball and, and you know offense and the intricacies of that they've led teams before there is a i mean i wouldn't say there's a trend but you know a lot of the former coaches or former players that become coaches usually uh were point guards uh you know there's 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 the exceptions to the rule i think you had uh bill russell as a coach at one time i think you had the big men some a couple of big men like kareem abdul jabbar he was a coach but a lot of the point guards because of their knowledge because of you know them leading teams before you got jason kidd he's become a head coach uh, again uh you have isaiah Thomas, i believe 
Isaiah Thomas before he was a front office executive. He was a head coach as well. So there's a lot of trust uh, in point guards. Um, and I think that's some of what, you know, is going into his decision. Uh, of course, you got somebody like Stephen A. Smith claiming quite privilege. Uh, again, I think that it, I think the thing about it is I think if we step outside of the white privilege situation, uh, there is a certain cast of coaches that are just in sports in general. Um, you know, whether it be football, basketball, baseball, uh, there's just a certain crop of coaches that are just going to cycle and travel, you know, around these teams and are just in the mix. And teams, you know, and and these are black guys, white coaches, whatever. And teams can hire these guys whenever they want. But like I said, this it's just a repeating cast of the same type of people. Because uh, again, who else would be available that would be African American, Alvin Gentry, somebody who was just recently fired. Uh, you had Nate McMillan, also some also a coach who was recently fired uh, you know and again there's some the white there's some white coach with the same type of situation uh booting holes you got booting holes are out there uh so again there's a there's a there's the same there's the same crop of coaches out there and i think every now and again the league whether it be you know uh, the nfl or the nba kind of look past that you know, cycle of the same coaches that are just right around the ether, either serving as an assistant or have been a former head coach. And they look beyond that. They go ahead and they say, look, well, let's get Steve Nash. He's not, you know, the, he's not in the mix. He hasn't been involved with a team just yet necessarily. He's, he's new. He has fresher ideas probably, you know, we know, we don't know what we're going to get from him per se. Uh, and I think that's more of a selling point than somebody like, you know, Jock Vaughn, who you've seen be be a head coach, and you know what he has. He's had the years of of head coach experience. Same thing with Alvin Gentry. You know, I mean, you could you could they could have probably went with Alvin Gentry, but they know what they're going to probably get with Alvin Gentry. They know they're going to get you know some type of knowledge of the sport, but they might not get somebody who's you know going to take that team to the next level. We saw we saw what he was doing. Same thing with Nate McMillan. He had a very solid roster in Indiana, yet, you know, could not get certain things done. Is it the fault of the league? Is it, a, is it an example of white privilege? No, I definitely think that what helps Steve Nash out in this situation is because, A, he's a point guard. Uh, they usually seem, seem to be the generals of the, the four generals. Uh, they know the sport. They know how to lead and and. and motivate players they were just doing that in some cases you know like in, in, in Nash's case he was just doing that maybe at the most 10 years ago uh, when he was actively a player in the league they like that and then on top of that he was a consultant he hasn't he has a relationship with KD one of the best players on their roster why 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 would you look past that for somebody who you know for for maybe just an average head coach black or white or red or Asian don't matter you know what I'm saying who cares um, they did what they had to do. Uh, they picked somebody new. They picked somebody who was not in the, the head coaching circles and in the head coaching room mill and everybody who had already been talked about or had already been a coach before. They picked somebody completely different, and he happened to be white. Uh, I think Steve, uh, Stephen A. needs to let that go. Um, I congratulate Steve Nash. I think he's a great basketball mind. I always thought he was a great basketball player. I don't have a problem with it. I've seen black coaches. I've seen black coaches on all levels. Um uh, and they all have varying degrees of success. Uh, when a team wants to, you know, and, it, and teams have in the past and in the in the recent current, you know, uh, times, there have been black head coaches and assistant coaches, and there's front and there's starting to be more front, uh, more of a front office 
front office presence in this sport in these sports. So I will take it as is. Brooklyn had to make the choice that they felt best represented them, and that's what it is. I'm not gonna hold it against them. All right, y'all, I'm going to take a quick break. When I get back, I will be talking some college uh, football. Uh, the question is, will we have a season? And if we do, what will we see? What will it all comprise of? And why are we it, Why are we in a position where there might not be a season in the first place? We're going to talk about all those things. We're going to talk about some student activism. We're going to start talk about some drama amongst parents and how they feel about their child's futures. So we'll get into it in just a little bit. All right, y'all, I'll be right back. y'all i'm back and i'm gonna talk some college football for a little bit i'm not gonna hold you guys for too long uh but the biggest question that we've been having over the past few months in this world especially if you are a fan of all this is is it going to transpire uh now there's a question there's a answer to that and that's going to be and especially for those of you who've been following everything just like i have uh it's gonna be a yes and a no now uh much of much of fall and winter sports have been canceled across uh, numerous uh, campuses, regardless of uh, level, meaning D1 or FBS, if we're talking football. Uh, so basically, the, from the smaller schools, the you know, Ivy League schools, there were some of the first schools to shut down, even to the big time campuses, USC's and all that. You know, a lot of these places have shut down. Uh, however, in terms of the major, you call these the major five conferences, the power five conferences, those are going to be some, we're going to have some split there. Uh, now, the Pac-12 uh, has decided to end this season, uh, although they are working on a plan to somewhat bring something back and maybe not wait until the spring to do so. And, and, it's, and it's also uh, fair to say, too, that the word cancellation is not the right one here. Uh, it's always seemed to me, even from the get-go, that there was it, it, the main thing was postponement as opposed to cancellation. Uh, I was hearing whether it was in the Big Ten, the Pac-12, again, even in the major conferences, the ones that I'm mentioning now, it was supposed to be a postponement, you know, until spring, uh, at least, uh, you know, at the very least, something around spring, which I think is is doable. I think we saw what happened with the XFL and the AFL, or with the AFL, whatever, or the AAF, whatever, and we at least saw people's interest in it. You know, people were interested in spring football. People were watching it, especially with the XFL. It got to be very popular. So I'm pretty sure spring fall football, especially when, uh, you know, football, you know, football in terms of college football in the spring is pretty much 
you know, it's rampant anyways. You have spring football. You're having spring training uh, in terms of in terms of what's going on at those campuses. You have a student by there that's engaged uh, into what's going on. You have an alumni base that's engaged in the spring football and those football games. Those games sell out, and, and it depends on the the the, the campus you're at. Like if you go to the University of Oregon or the University of Alabama, you know that's a that's a very exciting spring game. Uh, you go somewhere like Michigan, that's an exciting spring game. People are selling that game out. So spring football, uh, people might have to wait on it, but it's not like it's not doable and it won't be popular. It would be, it, it would be very, it would just have to compete. You would compete with football at that point. Uh, you might be competing with uh, the March Madness at that point if they decide to have that. But again, it's doable. People will, people will watch football in the spring. Time period has nothing to do with it, I don't think. I think it's just about uh, the product. Are you bringing the best teams forward? Are they playing? Is there any drama within the leagues? People are worried about that, per se. When it happens, I don't think so. Again, especially what we've seen with the XFP with the XFL the interest that people had there. Uh, some of those games were selling out or at least had, um, they were turning a profit. Those games were turning a profit. So football in the spring, it's possible. Uh, and like I said, as, as far as the major conferences are concerned, there is uh, somewhat of a split there. Uh, you have the Pac-10 and the Big, uh, the Big Ten completely Xing out their seasons for a couple of different reasons, or there's a couple of different movements behind each of those, and I'll get to those in just a second. Uh, but as far as the other three major conferences, the ACC, uh, the Big 12, and the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, uh, where where Alabama and Georgia, et cetera, play, they all want to continue playing. They actually have a schedule. Uh, it, like I said before and earlier this summer, it was going to be across the board that many of these, or all these teams would just basically play a conference schedule. Uh, but again, it looks as though the three big conferences, like I said before, the, uh, the Big 12, uh, the SEC, and the ACC are going to be the only ones playing. But it looks as though uh, they are going to be having some type of inner inner squad or inner uh, league matchups between the Big 12 and the, and the ACC as well. So it looks like you might have a couple non-conference games, but it looks like you're looking at uh, a, a conference schedule for these teams that are going to play. Now let's talk about the reasoning why uh, some of these conferences decided not to play or you know what's behind their movement. Uh, we'll start off with the Big Ten uh, because it was the most recent. It happened rather recently and there seems to be a lot of controversy with this one. Uh, even, even with what's going on in the Pac-12 right now and, and some of that, it, it seems to me that a lot of the drama is coming from these Big Ten schools uh, and the schools in the Midwest and all that, etc., now, according to the Big Ten and their presidents and the commissioner, there was a vote. Uh, you know, in in the majority of teams, I believe there was three teams that went with a postponement or a cancellation. I believe that was Ohio State. Uh, you had Iowa, and I can't. I don't think the other team was Michigan. Uh, oh, Minnesota. So three teams voted against the cancellation, like I said, or the postponement. Ohio State, 
uh, Minnesota and Iowa. And as far as Ohio State is concerned, they're one of the few teams that are actually pushing uh, vehemently pushing the reinstatement of the season. Of course, you have uh, Justin Field. Uh, he was able to get a get a, a petition going with over 300,000 signatures, basically, you know, demanding Big Ten officials that the season be played again. And I understand somebody like a Justin Fields, he's a high, uh, high, highly sought after draft, uh, well, you know, highly, um, draft prospect he's a highly sought out the draft prospect so i understand uh somebody of his level wanting to play some wanting to play some football wanting to get that extra exposure i get it um i, I understand how some players are willing to say look i'm willing to put that you know i'm willing to risk it you know knowing what i know about it because again it it's you know the science it proves how serious this sickness is and it proves how you can be all right if you put some if you make if you make sure you're covering a little extra a couple extra bases and you can avoid it so again it's it's serious but you can avoid it you can you can you can live from it even if, even if you catch it so i get why players would want to play anyways um you know again uh you had a lawsuit with eight players from the big uh the big 10 uh, from actually it was from um, Nebraska in particular actually Nebraska was actually set up actually it wasn't Minnesota it was actually Nebraska um, Ohio State and Iowa that wanted to push the season I forgot about that and that's where the eight the, uh, the lawsuit is coming from you have two different lawsuits going right now in the Big Ten you have the players uh, from Nebraska you also have some parents some assorted parents throughout these schools uh, in the Big, T uh, Big Ten complaining and saying look you know our kids uh, they are looking for some type of uh, future they are look you know they are depending on this football season for that and it seems as though you're taking that away I, you know again with that being said I think there's ways that universities can work around that by extending eligibility. They understand what the situation is, so I think the universities can do things. Uh, I think there is a there is going to be a situation with some money though, because again, you know, you're not having games, or at least, and even if you do have games, in some of these cases, there's nobody going to be in these crowds. So again, there's going to be revenue that's going to be lost. We've already looked at some of the windfall. Uh, I think there's ups, excess of you know tens of millions of dollars uh, at, at some of these campuses. Like I know for a fact at Iowa, uh, because of the the extra ends that the, the football program will not be making this year, they'll have to cut. Uh, I believe men's swimming. Uh, they'll have to to cut down a certain amount of programs at the school just to kind of get by. So I, again, I understand where. Uh, you know the 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 pressure is on to have something, but even with the football that you do have, it's still going to be football light. I don't think you're going to get the same uh, the same amount of income as you would had it had nothing been going on. So you're going to have to make some concessions anyways. Uh, so you're gonna you're gonna miss out on some on some money. It's just that's just the way this season was going to go. Um, is it worth rushing the players to get back so we can get some of those TV revenues? So we can get some of that. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, the play. Uh, well, the at least the co the commissioners of the of the Big Ten at least did not feel so. So uh, again, and if you ask some of the you know the teams and and some of the the presidents at these teams and the chancellors, they'll start to tell you days after the vote. They're like, oh, we really didn't have a vote. We just kind of came to a consensus and all this. But if you guys truly didn't agree, you you know you never should have left that room. 
you know, or it should have been, it should have never been, it, it should have never left the room that there was an agreement. It should have never, you should have never let that shit go. You should have kept fighting from that day. We should have been knowing what was going on from inside. And not necessarily, you know, you know, you can't necessarily know exactly what's going on and being said inside uh, of those buildings. But at least, you know, you'll have a detractor saying, look, we really didn't like what was going on. We really did not agree with this. We're not going to. We never saw any of that. You know, again, weeks or i would say at least a week or two after the initial call uh you you see the players you know the players from nebraska uh setting up this this uh, this lawsuit you know the university of, of nebraska you know for them you know for them to say oh we weren't agreeing with this we weren't in accordance with this uh it didn't seem like they fought hard enough in my opinion until after the fact until you have you know a separate set of media coming to your campus and asking you well what's going on then you tell your side of the story and say oh well the big 10 didn't really ask us to vote well then you should have been fighting there all day ohio state same thing you know you you gotta fight on the day of and then have and then have the the uh um, the petitions, you know, it just seemed to me that, you know, when this consensus was made, it was made and there was now of course there was, there was evidence again, there was evidence of three teams, like I said before, who they were not going along with it. But again, you know, if it was such an issue, then why, then why was there ever an official, was, was there ever an official statement made by the university to say that this is what we wanted to do? If nobody was comfortable with that, if you guys truly felt that the commissioner was not doing the right thing, you should have stayed in his ass and never left that bill and kept, you should have still been working on that decision. You should have still been debating and deliberating. You let the, you let the vote pass. Then you came back after the vote and said, look, we really don't like the vote now. We're seeing all this pressure from these parents. They don't like the fact that the season is done. Well, then you should have pushed that in from the get-go. You knew that. You knew that parents were going to come home and not accept that. You knew that, Big, Big Ten. You knew that officials. You knew that school chancellors or athletic directors. You should have fought right then and there and just, you know, you, you might not have a decision today, but then that's fine because you're still meeting on it. You're still, you know, talking about it, discussing it. As far as the Pac-12 is concerned, uh, that was mostly a student-driven coalition, which is why it's a lot different than the Big T uh, the Big Ten. Uh, the Big Ten, it was specifically the big heads, the commissioners uh, coming together and saying, there's this vote, blah, 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 blah. The Pac-12, they said no. The players organized, they organized first, and they organized amongst each other, whether it was Arizona, the players, like I said, so the players from Arizona State, Oregon, uh, the Oregon players were some of the bigger uh, spearheads behind this. I believe um, Cal, uh, those players. So Pac-12 North, it kind of started off. So Cal, Oregon, those players, they were the, those were some of the the cornerstones of the student movement, at least in the Pac-12. Uh, Washington, Washington players as well, and it was and it expanded outside of coronavirus as well. Uh, these players uh, seem to have um, well, seem to have a very good idea, and, and a lot of these players, these college football players, regardless of region or or, or uh, conference that they play for, truly understand you know what's at stake right now, just outside of football. Uh, but in the Pac-12, there was a it was part of their mission statement to include. Uh, to include not only just protections against the coronavirus and stuff like that, but also just protections in general for players. Uh, for one, it was eligibility rules that they wanted to extend or that they wanted uh, more type of access or uh, what was the word, financial 
uh, services for these, particularly the at the at risk or low income student athletes. So it was a lot more than just coronavirus. This and we don't want to play during the coronavirus in the Pac-12. It was more so. Uh, there's some social uh, changes that need to be made on these campuses. There need to be some social changes made in these football programs because again, uh, we are in the 21st century, and you figure we'd be beyond that. But there is still some racial hazing on these football cam- campuses. Iowa uh, is is one of those is um, uh, is is one of those examples. Uh, there there was a, a strength and conditioning coach. I want to say it was a defensive uh, coordinator uh, as well. There uh, basically hazing and harassing the black student athletes. This stuff did not go away. Okay, so uh, the the movement in the Pac-12 was a lot more social as opposed to just coronavirus. So again, they had their list of demands and they and they got together and they just said they, they would refuse to play. And the parents in this conference seem to be okay with they understand. Uh and the ADs and, and everybody said, look, we can't really do anything about this. this is a strong coordinated student coalition. And they and and they and they understood that. And the Pac twelve Larry Scott, uh he said, look, we won't play. Uh, if you guys are not going to play, you're not going to risk your butt. We're not going to do it, uh, and it and it and it is going to cost them at some point because you do are you already are starting to hear how some of these bigger name uh, recruits are are starting to transfer. I got to look into this, uh, but if I'm not m- mistaken, Panay Soel, uh, one of the top offensive linemen for the Ducks, he is transferring to Alabama because again, uh, Alabama will be continuing this season, so he'll get a chance to play. He won't be able to play in Oregon, so he might have to transfer. You might see some of that, um, but again, you know, if, if there's no going to be no season, it ain't gonna, you know, ain't, ain't gonna pop up. Well, it, that won't pop up. That won't really bother Oregon until you know next season because it's a transfer. So, uh, you know, we might not really miss him, but again, that's just an example. So they're all players, and you know, they're not all 100% with it. But for the most part, in the Pac-12, this was a student, you know student athlete driven situation not just the football athletes basketball track so on and so forth they understood what the time uh what the time is and it's not just coronavirus um it's still racial uh shit going on there's still political unrest in this country regardless of coronavirus regardless of that virus and again i like the fact that the pac-12 players were able to introduce that into the mix as well uh so uh student activism is at an all-time high out here i like it as far as the football season is concerned again uh it looks like you might have some football down south uh you might have some football uh in the acc on the atlantic coast and then uh also in the big 12 so also you know a little bit more in the in the, in the midwest as well and, and you know so uh you know as far as what the pac-12 and the big 10 have decided to do uh, there's a possible like i said there could be a possible winner uh a winter postponement where everything start kind of starts coming up around November or maybe even December. You kind of have a six to eight game series. At least that's what I was hearing from the Pac-12. Six to eight game conference schedule. Uh, say it will probably be the similar, uh, very similar in the Big Ten as well. So something six to eight games. Uh, have a few teams play each other. Maybe uh, another ranked 
non-conference opponent or something like that just for some income just to generate some buzz possibly i could see that happening uh so we'll see but as far as today is concerned in the next in, in this summer uh no football for us for us west coast teams uh but again you'll see some down south just turn on your turn on your station they are as far as i'm concerned as far as i know uh the acc and the, and the conferences that are playing this year they, the sec they are getting their schedules together now at least in terms of tv uh but their their team schedules are already kind of mapped out so we'll see what happens guys all right, y'all, I'm going to call it a wrap for today. I know I went a little bit long, but there's a little bit I wanted to get off my chest. Uh, and, um, yeah, I'll save some more for you guys later. I will be back uh, either tomorrow, uh, probably here with the podcast. There's some more stuff I want to go over in terms of the playoffs, and I am working on some uh, some content for the YouTube channel, so that will take a minute. Uh, so uh, look out for that. Uh, of course, like I said here, I'll be back with this tomorrow. If you're looking to get in touch with me, I'll be leaving my links for you guys available. Uh, again, you can catch this on Spotify, uh, Google, and iTunes. You can also check me out on YouTube as well. Never out of bounds, of course. This is your man, L. Jamal. Follow me on Instagram, L. Jamal791, E-L-J-A-M-A-H-791. You can also follow me on Facebook at the same name, L. Jamal Ajani. A-D-J-A-N-I-E-L-J-A-M-A-H. Remember the name, El Jamal. I know it's different. I know it's unique, but I love it, and I hope you guys love it all the same because I love y'all. All right, y'all. I'm, I'm signing out for today. I will, be, I will be hollering at y'all soon. Peace out.